Welcome to the best of the Nick Brown Show, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's your host, Nick Brown. Well, it's time again on the Nick Brown Show. Lynn takes you to 10. That's Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. And good morning to you, Lynn. Hey, good morning. Uh, another, another good weekend. You know, this is a, a time of the year when you got a whole lot going on. You got things on the diamond. You got things on the on the uh, football field. You got uh, college basketball just having completed a week within the last week. So a uh, whole lot of whole lot of stuff happening right now, Nick. Well, I tell you what, uh, many people that uh, do not like the SEC are saying that the SEC has won again, Lynn. As yesterday, the NCAA has shut down satellite camps effective immediately now the sec and the acc were two conferences that banned uh their conferences from conducting satellite camps yeah and and you know they can say what they want to about well the sec wins and maybe they do maybe the sec does win in this but uh in my opinion this rule uh was not put in this restrictive rule was not put in to placate the sec it was put in because it's a good rule to put in because uh, it makes sense. Uh, you know, you and I have talked on and off the air about this. I thought it was a, a, a bad idea to have these satellite camps to begin with. Um, to me, it's, it's uh, coaches putting attention on themselves. It is uh, at a time when they try to stress austerity uh, to try to spend uh, less money and be more uh, conscientious about expenditures. Uh, you're going to take uh, people, people and an entourage on the road uh, hundreds or thousands of miles away from from your own campus to be spending money. Uh, I question uh, how many recruits it brings in uh, to uh, to the to the school, and it opens a real can of worms. Uh, what's what's going to happen? And obviously, it's not going to it's not going to be done. The reason that they're saying that about the ACC and the SEC and them uh, passing those uh, rules for for schools not to do it is how many people are going to choose at this time of the year to uh, go do a camp in Wisconsin or, or Michigan or wherever. Of course the southern teams are not going to like it as, well, as much because the, the teams from the other parts of the country, they're coming down to the south. That's where they're coming to do these things. Uh, Coach Harbaugh was in uh, Alabama for uh, one or two last year, running around with his shirt off and, and being on the, being on the, uh, on the cameras. Uh, I, I thought it was a bad idea from the start. Uh, a lot of times I criticize rules that NCAA uh, puts in, but in this case, I think the NCAA got it right. Uh, and for the SEC haters out there, uh, if the SEC benefits from something correct happening, then good for the SEC, because I don't think this is one where favoritism was shown. I think it's one where common sense was shown. Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that the SEC and the ACC, which never allowed it, but now at that point before the ruling, the SEC, ACC, Pac-12, and Big 12 conferences all voted to end satellite camps. The Big Ten was the only Power Five conference that was in favor of satellite camps. We're going to take it down to the group of five conferences. The Sun Belt, Mountain West, voted against the satellite camps, while the Mid-American, Conference USA, and the American Conference were in favor of continuing the camp. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, the big guys, the group of five. There were some that also won as well. But now, now on to the subject of football, and I really don't get this. We're going to talk about some spring games that are being held today. But interesting, the University of Florida Gators had theirs on a Friday. I find that quite odd, and all I can tell you is that Luke Del Rio, maybe the quarterback situation in Gainesville has been settled, but it's not in a lot of other places. Yeah, and I doubt it settled in Gainesville, quite frankly. Uh, you know, they're, they're, 
losing losing quarterbacks like everybody else has been. That's a good start for them to have one player that did well. I don't recall, Nick, a year, and I, I think the answer is there's never been a year, when there's been this much quarterback uncertainty going into the season. Out of the 14 teams, uh, the only two that I'm comfortable at with saying we know who their quarter, starting quarterback is going to be at this point, barring injury, is Ole Miss with Chad Kelly and um, – and and Tennessee with Josh Dobbs, and uh, and I think those teams have got to be two of the favorites in their respective divisions to play in the SEC championship game this early because they've got that veteran quarterback play, and you've got three teams that are having their uh, spring games later today, and every one of those teams have got quarterback uh, questions that will be key to how their seasons turn out. I sure will be. I'm going to cover those. That's the Texas A&M Aggies as well as the South Carolina Gamecocks and the Auburn Tigers all have their spring games today. Yeah, right. And you mentioned A&M first, so let's just start with them first. Um, there, there is no uh, school that you would say better has more of a stark contrast in situation with their quarterback than A&M. Texas A&M this time last year was going into the season with two five-star quarterbacks that they were wondering which two of the five-star quarterbacks was going to lead them to great things. Um, by, by the time the season's over, both of the two five-star quarterbacks have quit the team, and they're playing their third-team quarterback. And uh, they've become a pretty mediocre team toward the end of the year because of not having the quarterback play. So all of a sudden, and here's part of the play on words, here comes the white knight riding in to save the day, Trevor Knight. Uh, people will remember him from two years ago, uh, not this past season, but I guess it was – well, three, uh, yeah, two full seasons ago, he's the guy that beat Alabama so badly in, in I guess, I think it was the Sugar Bowl uh, when when Oklahoma played Alabama and just ran all over them in the bowl game. That was Trevor Knight, uh, and everybody thought that because of that that he was going to end up being the you know the greatest thing to come out of Norman. And lo and behold, last year, uh, his junior year, he's not the starting quarterback. Now, obviously, he got beat out by a really good player, but uh, so you've got a guy coming into A and M who certainly had his day in the sun but was not able to hang on to the starting position at his own school, and he's coming in to learn a new system with one year remaining to play. Well, a lot of people assumed that Trevor Knight was going to be the guy. But, you know, I got some, some pretty close contacts with Tex Ags, and we do some radio out there. I can tell you it is not a universal thought uh, by everyone that Trevor Knight's going to come in and be the guy that takes over the reins of the Aggies' offense. Well, you know what, and I'll tell you the other two, they signed uh, Nick Starkle at quarterback, but then there's also a difficult name to pronounce. But he backed; he was a backup last year. Jake Hubenhack, and I think that that Hubenhack may give him give him a run for the money because whenever you have a name that's tough to pronounce, you're probably going to be pretty. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah, they are. Uh, I know some A and M people that really like Hubenhack, and they like the fact that he hung in there, that he uh, he stayed in there and was solid. He was not the big five star guy. They bring the bring in the two All Americans at the same time. And, and that doesn't work out. And so he's kind of been a blue-collar guy that knows the system. And I, I know some folks that think uh, that uh, when they kick off their first ball game, it's going to be Hubernack under center instead of Trevor Knight. Wow, that should, should be uh, – that would surprise a lot of people. Now, I want to turn to South Carolina. And South Carolina is a program, Lynn, that has been devastated by quarterback injuries. And some news out of uh, this past week was that uh, a guy by the name of Jake Bentley – whose father is Bobby Bentley, who's going to be the running back coach for South Carolina, is going to skip his senior year of high school and go to South Carolina. He's got enough credits to, to graduate. So I thought, you know what, that would be great 
for him to go. That's okay. He's going to have a redshirt year. But this guy could be in the running for the starting job with all the injuries in Columbia, South Carolina. Who are you guys going to go from his junior year of high school to competing in the SEC? Yeah. He ought to be going to the prom, and he says he's going to be going to Clemson to play the team that could be the national champion. Uh, quite, a, quite a difference. Um, that would be ironic if, if that were to happen. That's, you know, we, we talked off the air. That's happened you know, so, so few times uh, in the past that that's taken place where, where a guy goes straight from the 11th grade into college. But you're right. South Carolina, it, it might be by default because uh, they have had a rash of quarterback injuries uh, before uh, Will Muschamp's team ever takes the field, uh, even even for the spring game. So, uh, you know, they're just another team. And and South Carolina last year, you know, was not a really good team, and and their their offense was certainly part of that. They don't they don't have a guy. Some teams have got guys that played last year that were were starters, but just weren't real effective. Uh, South Carolina really doesn't have anybody that you could tag uh, with that with that name as a guy that was a returning starter at all. So uh, South Carolina is another one of those teams that, that desperately needs to find out in the spring what's going to happen with quarterback, if, if at all possible. I think one thing to watch, Lynn, we're talking to Lynn Scarborough. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. Lynn, Will Muschamp, in my opinion, and, and several people's opinion, didn't do a really good job of handling quarterbacks at the University of Florida. In fact, Louisiana Tech right here in our backyard benefited from Jeff Driscoll. Now, there has to be some maturity taking place on how he handles quarterbacks, and I think that's going to be a delicate situation will decide how successful his tenure is in South Carolina. No, probably, probably so. I mean, obviously he needs to find an offensive coordinator, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't remember who his offensive coordinator is, but he needs to have an offensive coordinator that he trusts to turn the offense over to, to that person and the quarterback coach, so that it does not become a legacy that Will Muschamp, who is a defensive guy, uh, is the guy that ends up saying, I can't get a quarterback in here. Uh, he needs to take care of the defense primarily. He's responsible for everything, of course. But uh, he needs to have a, a quarterback coach and, a, and an offensive coordinator that he trusts to get a guy in there to run the offense. But here's the thing. If, if they're injured, what are you going to do? You know, we've seen a, a rash of situations this past year in various sports in the Southeastern Conference where teams were, were hurt by injuries at key places, and it's hard to replace them. And, you know, if, you're, if the best that you're going to have to put out there potentially is an 11th grader uh, to be going up against uh, defenses from, from Clemson and other SEC teams, you're probably behind the eight ball before you start. Yeah, you certainly are. And the offensive coordinator for the Gamecocks is going to be Kurt Roper, will serve as uh, one of the offensive coordinators for the South Carolina Gamecocks. And, and I think I'm not sure. I think it may be a situation, which I never like these, the old co-offensive coordinators. Uh, that one is always uh, uh, doesn't turn out well when you have those co-OCs. But I want to turn now to the Plains last year of Auburn. Lynn, you had a guy at quarterback. You talked about how the question marks surround quarterbacks at several SEC schools. Well, more than several, I believe 12. You look at Auburn last year, you had a player by the name of Jeremy Johnson came in with high accolades, a Heisman Trophy candidate, and things went south pretty quickly. How does the quarterback position shape up for Auburn this year? Well, Auburn's one of those, unlike South Carolina, that's got returning guys. And in this case, Auburn doesn't have no returning starters. They've got two returning starters. They've got uh, Jeremy Johnson that started a bunch of games, very highly rated player, but also Sean White. Well, Sean White, his senior year, uh, at, in, in Florida, in high school, 
uh, he was the most valuable player at the uh, elite. Uh, uh, Under Armour. Uh, well, he was a starting quarterback in the Under Armour game and was the most valuable player, but he also was the MVP at the Elite 11 uh, quarterback camp. He won the accuracy competition uh, as passer. So Auburn had two very highly rated quarterbacks last year. The problem is, of course, uh, in fairness, Sean White got injured, and that gets into the injury situation. But those two guys were not really well suited to run the uh, read option dual threat uh, system that Will Muschamp and Rhett Lashley has run. And it just is an example of a quarterback can, can be great, can have great accolades and great physical talent, but if you put him in a situation where it's not well suited to his skill set, then you're not necessarily going to come out with a good situation. And for, for different reasons, Jeremy Johnson and Sean White uh, were not well suited to run that read option uh, for Auburn's offense, and, and the outcome was a, a mediocre season by Auburn standards. Well, certainly that was the case. We're talking about quarterbacks. Talking to Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Lynn takes you to 10 every Saturday morning on the Nick Brown Show. I want to turn to the defensive side of the ball because LSU's defensive coordinator, Kevin Steele, leaves Baton Rouge to come to the plains of Auburn after Will Muschamp took the South Carolina job. And it's one you've seen a lot of a lot of positive energy out of Kevin Steele. You have. You have. Now, I'm going to say one more thing on the offensive side about Auburn is John Franklin. Uh, John Franklin is the other mix in this quarterback situation at Auburn, and John Franklin was a high, was a junior college All-American last year. Um, he is a dual-threat guy in the classic mode. He started out at Florida State, had a redshirt year there, and, it, and coincidentally, the, his redshirt year, Florida State played Auburn for the national championship. Well, he played the part of Nick Marshall in practice for Florida State uh, in practicing for that ball game, and if you recall, Nick Marshall was another guy that came in as a junior college All-American, as did Cam Newton down there. Both of those guys come in, and all they did was come in and lead Auburn to the national championship game. Not saying that's going to be the case here with, uh, with this situation, but uh, it, could, it could well be that he's going to be the, the guy that comes in, Franklin is, and uh, takes over that quarterback job. The defensive side, though, is, you know, the old deal is that you uh, fill the seats with, with offense and win, win games with defense. And Auburn's defense the first part of last season was not very good. But as the season went on, it, it was good. And Kevin Steele, we'll see uh, this afternoon in their uh, spring game, but Kevin Steele's been getting good vibes on this. And Auburn, a, a weakness for them for a number of years uh, was defensive tackle. Uh, they're going to have five guys in the defensive line this year, uh, Nick, that were high school five-star All-Americans. And I, I, I know for sure Auburn's never had five five-star defensive linemen at the same time, and I'm not sure that anybody has. So uh, look for, look for uh, a chance for real improvement on the defensive side. Uh, if they can get a quarterback that can run the system, it might be a surprising year for Auburn. That certainly uh, could be the case. Now, uh, we've been talking uh, about football, but, of course, baseball and softball – are in season right now, and some big games. I think you got to go back to a Thursday night game, surprised a lot of people. And that was now LSU starting to play LSU baseball. Defeated Vanderbilt in the first game, Lynn, and then last night went ahead and won the series. Surprising, two victories over Vanderbilt. Yeah, absolutely. With Vanderbilt uh, being, you know, consistently sitting up there in the, you know, in the tops of the rankings, uh, they were, you know, what weren't they like? 
second in the country or I think something. Second in the country going in, going in this weekend. But again, it just goes to prove the strength of the of the conference. You can't the the league even even the worst teams in the league have got the potential to raise up and beat you. And certainly, it's the case when you got an, an LSU going up against up against Vanderbilt. Um, the, in, in the Western Division right now, uh, it's a it's a unusual situation. You know, Mississippi State's the best team in that division. They're at six and four. They would be uh, in the in the middle of the road in the Eastern Division. Um, you know, LSU uh, having a, a an off year by their standards, they're still there at five and five. That's only one game out of the lead in the in the Western Division. So LSU's starting to pull it together uh, as you as you really felt like they would. But but still, you know, with with Florida sitting there with three losses and South Carolina doesn't have but five, uh, that you know they're the two bell cow teams right now. Texas A&M was number one in the country, uh, you know, uh, what two weeks ago, and and they suddenly go one and four last in the last uh, five games, I think, and they lose at home to Rice. So uh, it just you know you never can tell. You've got you got some mighty strong teams that have to play each other, and uh, at uh, you know at the end at the end of the year, it'll all. all you know, even itself out. Well, one thing I, I never get the opportunity and never like to do that. I'm going to correct you just a little bit. Yep. LSU is now six and five because they played that game Thursday night. Six and five, six that, and five. Well, right. I'm, I'm going from memory. I don't have the stands. And in front then, of. and then after, and you do, uh, and that is incredible. But Florida, very good. In fact, yeah, they're like what nine and two or eight and two or something like that. Yeah, and defeated Mississippi State eight to two last night. And so the Florida Gators do what they're supposed to do. LSU could be in first place by themselves or tied uh, after today's games. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't think Mississippi State. Uh, I, I suspect that they'll lose the entire series. Uh, Florida is a very, very good team. I tell you, and you got to give, got to give credit to Florida. You know, they've they've lost like three games in baseball, and I think they've lost like three games in softball. Yeah, they're number one in the land in baseball and some of the polls. So certainly, you know, the team, Lynn, though, that surprises me. And I think that we don't talk about them enough because all we think about, and when I say this, you're going to know exactly who I'm talking about, but all we think about if, is a basketball school. And, of course, that's the University of Kentucky. Respectable, very good in softball, very good in baseball. Right. And football is getting better. In fact, anxious to see how they do next season. But Kentucky is really getting it together for an entire athletic program. Oh, they are. Yeah, they beat Alabama last night, I think, 3-2. to two. Uh in, in baseball, which ran them to like 22-8 and eight or something like that overall. That's a, obviously a very good record. I think there's only maybe three teams in the conference got a, got a better record than them there. And in softball, they're strong. You know, they're 30-something and eight or something in, in softball. They, they, did, uh, they got swept, I believe, last weekend by Auburn, but Auburn's number two in the country. And, uh, you know, the, they're, Kentucky, absolutely right. Hey, and it was a mediocre year for Kentucky in basketball, and uh, by the time you get to the tournament, probably the best team uh, that represents the conference at the end of the year is Kentucky. Uh, a mediocre year for Kentucky, and they probably end up being the best team in the SEC in uh, in men's basketball. But you, yeah, you got to give it to Kentucky. They're doing they're doing much better uh, in uh, in a lot of sports. Not as good as Florida is in uh, on the diamond. Hey, Florida is the is the team though uh, the program that's really had a year. You want to look at look at it down the the entire way in in every sport. Uh, Florida 
has has really really had a strong academic year. So I mean, athletic year so far. Well, I want to run over those standards because we standings in the SEC baseball because we talked about them, and that's going to bring up South Carolina as well. If it wasn't for Steve Spurrier, whoever thought you could say this, and the Gamecock football team being a disappointment because you had the Gamecock women's basketball team do very well, you had the men under Frank Martin do well, and now the baseball team finds themselves with the second overall best record in the SEC, but the team with the best record happens to be in their division, Florida. But South Carolina, 8-2 and two in the league, 26-5, and five, and these are the Eastern leaders. Kentucky, 7-3 and three in the league, 21-8 and eight overall. Vanderbilt, 6-5, 24-7 overall. And then that's all with a winning record. Georgia, 4-6, and six, Tennessee, 3-7, and seven, and Missouri, 3-8. and eight. Now, done our math, there'll be 12 of these teams making it to Hoover. So right now, the two teams... Seeing at home would be Missouri and Auburn. Interesting enough, they're in a series right now with the game. Well, now what's, ten- what's Tennessee's record? Aren't they about the same? Yeah, three and seven. Yeah, okay. So you got three teams that have won three, and you've got three or four teams that have won four. So you've got like six or seven teams within a game of each other at the bottom. So while it's tied up at the top, it's not as tight at the top as it is at the bottom because uh, my memory is that you've got like three or four teams that have only won four and maybe three teams that have only won three. So you've got seven, seven teams right now that are fighting it out for those bottom two places not to go to Hoover. And that's what I hope our listeners certainly appreciate. You're not looking at the standings. I am. Georgia, you're right. Four wins. There's your first. Ole Miss with four wins. And Arkansas with four wins. There are your yeah. three. You're three with three. Auburn, Missouri, and Tennessee. Now, interesting, we move over to the west. Mississippi State you talked about. Uh, 21 and nine overall, six and four in the league. LSU six and five, 21 and nine overall. A and M five and five, Alabama five and five, Ole Miss four and six, Arkansas four and six, Auburn three and eight. So, Lynn, I can tell you, it's going to be one of those years. It's going to come down to the last week of the season, and it's where we may have to do the math. We've done it a few times over the years because somebody had a rain out or a game they couldn't play right. in. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, and that's and uh, baseball and softball are an unusual sport in college. Because in, in Major League Ball, Pro Ball, you know, they make those games up. Because you've got a limited amount of time, you've got to work it around classes and academics. If there's a rain out of a, of a baseball or softball series, it doesn't get made up. And the uh, teams that, that uh, win to go to, the, go to the postseason is done by the percentages. And we have had sometimes in the Southeastern Conference when teams have been left out, of the, left out or made it, according to the way you want to look at it, by the percentage, and the percentage was impacted by the fact that it rained one day. Yeah, certainly. And, and now, Lynn, I mean, there, there's probably nothing going on at Lindy since I think you're probably, what, only three weeks? Three weeks from today. Three weeks from today, uh, we will be sending the Southeastern Football Magazine to the printer. In fact, put a little uh, asterisk there. We may be needing to adjust the time of the uh, Lynn Takes You to Ten show on that morning because we may be taking a magazine to the printer at that very time. Hard to believe, but three weeks from the day, the Southeastern Football Magazine goes to the press. Well, I want to talk about that real quick, and before we close, it's uh, Lynn Scarborough from Lindy's Magazine. Lynn takes you to 10. We are talking about the epic weekend of college football when it will open up. going to be the best one, I'm going to say, in the history, best opening weekend in the history of college football. I believe it is. I, I, I tell you, not only is it the best opening weekend, you can make a case that this is one of the best weekends for college sports, uh, for college football ever. If you want to look at it from the, from the, the uh, circumstance of looking at it as traditional powers from 
different parts of the country matching up against each other. The traditional powers of different conferences, uh, I don't think you're going to have ever had a weekend that was as big as the first weekend we're going to have at the 2016 football season. Well, I want to tell you a couple of athletic departments that have gotten it right. You'll probably never hear me say many great things about the University of Notre Dame. Uh, nothing against them, just but Notre Dame and Texas have decided to move their game, which was originally scheduled for that opening weekend, Saturday, September 3rd, yep. to a Sunday night game on September the 4th. What about that? Hmm. Okay. Well, that, that, that's good in that it, it spreads it out a little bit, uh, gives, a, gives another powerful game over Labor Day weekend on television. Um, and, and I do like that. Uh, you know, the, the, not so many of them all together. It means I'll probably get to see it because I won't be covering a game, not being on Saturday, because I may go to two games on Saturday, but I would not be going to one on Sunday, so I'll probably get to watch the game. So that's a good, good part of that. Well, certainly, Lynn, I look forward to talking to you uh, again next week and certainly appreciate you joining us this morning on the Nick Brown Show. Hey, and uh, looking forward to it this afternoon. Going to have some good softball and uh, baseball. SEC Network has these uh, spring games on this afternoon, and uh, going to do my best to try to catch a little bit of those as well. Well, we certainly appreciate it and look forward to talking to you again next week. Sounds good, Nick. Talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the best of the Nick Brown Show. Tune in live every Saturday on ESPN977.com or subscribe to the show in iTunes, on Stitcher, or at redpeachsports.com.